0: If it is your first time here, my name is John. I'm the lead pastor. Appreciate you guys coming on out. As Adam alluded to, we are wrapping up this series that we are calling Not Normal. If it's your first time here, sort of concept for this series comes from the idea that Scripture says that we as Christians, and many of us here are Christians. If you're not Christian, glad you're here, kind of talking to the Christians in this series. That we as Christians are to be different than the world. Jesus said it like this, and I'm paraphrasing. He said, you are to be in the world, not of the world. you are to live in society, you are to work in society, go to dinner in society, yada, yada, yada. But you need to be different than society. And so each week we've sort of saying, all right, what does that look like to actually be different, to go against the grain and to be not normal, as we are calling it. So last week, Peter said something that really caught my attention. Maybe it caught your attention, too. It was actually a little jarring to hear him say this. And I want to look at it again today. He said, for God called you to do good, even if it means suffering just as Christ suffered for you. In other words, when you do good as a Christian, when you follow God's will, there is a chance, kind of a pretty good chance Peter is saying, that it can actually lead to some suffering in your life. Right? That is because you are a Christian, because you hold the Christian values and principles, the world's will might come against you. Now, Jesus knew this was true, he knew this was going to happen, and he wanted to give us a, a heads up. Here's how he said it. He said, now, if you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. In other words, if you lived like everybody else lived, if you acted like everyone else acted, if your marriages look like everybody else's marriages, if you raise your children like everybody else raises their children, if you reflected the values of this world, the world would love you as though you were one of its own. However, he says, as it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, right? You're to be in the world, not of the world. You may live in the world, but you don't belong to the world in which you live. We're called to be different, right? And when you're different, you stand out. When you're not normal, you stand out. And that is why the world hates you, Jesus says. Then he says something that I really wish he didn't say. He says, since they persecuted me, naturally, they will persecute you. And This is what Peter was alluding to, that God has called you to do good, even if it means suffering or being persecuted, as Jesus said, just as he was persecuted. When you're a follower of Jesus and you're living for him, eventually, the world's going to start pushing back. It's inevitable. It's naturally going to happen, Jesus says. It may take on the form of criticism It may take on the form of judgment or maybe even harassment, but whatever the form it takes, it's all a form of persecution. So if that's the case, if that's what we're enduring, what Peter wants to help us sort of navigate with this persecution is he wants to give us a not normal perspective on that persecution. He wants to give us a new way of viewing that persecution. And what he's going to show us today is that we can actually be incredibly encouraged when the world begins to turn on us. That it can actually be an indication that you're on the right track, that you're you're doing the things that you should be doing. So let's talk about persecution. Persecution is a concept that as Americans we're not that familiar with. Like we know the definition of persecution, but it's not something that we experience that much really. And we're kind of we're gonna get into that later today. The biggest persecution that Americans really have faced in the recent years is when Starbucks changed its Christmas cop. So this was a Remember this fiasco Christians took to the streets over this, quote, war on Christmas? Lost their minds, okay? Now, if this offended you, totally fine, okay? It is your prerogative, if if you're sensitive to that, that's your prerogative. But what I wanna do just for a couple of minutes is I wanna give you some perspective about what Christians around the globe are dealing with. Now, here's the latest map detailing worldwide Christian persecution. This is just 2023, okay? In those colored areas that you're looking at, listen to this 5,621 Christians were murdered for their faith. 4,562 were arrested because of their faith. 2,110 churches were attacked. These Christians are suffering. They're suffering in a way that was very similar to the original audience that Peter was writing to. We've been looking at it all month. He said to that audience, Dear friends, Don't be surprised at the fiery trials you are going through as as if something strange were happening to you. In other words, don't be shocked. Don't be surprised. Don't get caught off guard that when you're living for Christ that you begin to face opposition all of a sudden. A lot of folks, and maybe you're one of them, are under this impression that when you become a Christian, life's just going to get easier for you. I've said yes to Jesus, and now all my problems are going to go away. And so they're surprised, to use Peter's term, that when they said yes to Jesus, all of a sudden, hmm, things are getting a little harder. I'm beginning to face a little bit of a spiritual opposition in my life. Why does that happen? Well, it's happening because now that you're a Christian, you don't just have a savior. Now, for the first time in your life, you have a spiritual enemy as well. Here's kind of how I always think about this. The moment you accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, Right? You say yes to Jesus, as we like to call it this church. You immediately pop up on Satan's radar. Okay, You saw what Jesus said. You no longer belong to the world, which means you no longer blend in. Now you show up as a blip on his radar. Before you were a Christian, Satan didn't really care about you. But now you're on his radar. And he sees you. And he knows you're out there. And right now, because maybe you're a brand new Christian, you're not really much of a threat but he's monitoring the situation. Then, right, you start to live out your faith. You didn't just say yes to Jesus. You said yes to his will, right, and his instructions, and you start to invite people to church. All of a sudden, you're praying big prayers. You're sharing your faith with folks. You're making wise decisions. Now, you're not just a blip. Now, you're a target. Now, you're a threat. Now, the enemy is locked in to you. And now you're going to begin to face some opposition, some pushback, some tension, maybe even some persecution. So Peter says, dear friends, don't be surprised at the fiery trials you're going through as if something strange were happening to you. This is totally normal, totally par for the course. To us, Peter might say, hey, don't be surprised if you're having a hard time getting a second date because of your stance on purity. Don't be surprised. Don't be surprised if, you know, you don't get invited to that particular party because you're a Christian. Don't don't be surprised if somebody rolls their eyes at you at Thanksgiving dinner because of your faith, because they find out you go to this church, maybe you volunteer, or or, or you just got baptized. Don't be surprised. Don't let that scare you. Don't let that discourage you. Instead, is that be very glad. There's your not normal perspective. Instead of recoiling in fear, Peter says, I want you to rejoice I don't want you to just be glad, I want you to be very glad in the face of opposition, and here's why. For these trials make you partners with Christ in his suffering, so that you will have the wonderful joy of seeing his glory when it's revealed to all the world. All right, let's pause here. If my calculations are correct, and I'm terrible at math, they might not be, but if they're correct, there are some of you here today who are like, wow, this is, really speaking to me. I mean, lately, I've just been trying to live for the Lord, and I just feel like whatever I do, I'm, I'm facing pushback and opposition, and and this is an, this is eye-opening. This makes a lot of sense. But I'm going to guess that for a lot of you here today, you're thinking, mm, I don't know if this message is for me or not. I mean, last week was good. Like that's That that really resonates kind of with my situation in my life, but got to be honest with you, John. I, I haven't really haven't really faced any persecution. Let's talk about that. Why is it that so many Christians don't face any persecution? How come so many followers of Jesus don't really encounter much persecution or persecution at all? I'm going to argue there's a couple of reasons for that. The first reason I think a lot of us don't encounter persecution is simply because we're Americans, okay? And we can thank God. Um, well, I would say this. While Peter said it's a blessing to suffer, I would also argue that it is a blessing not to suffer. So, so you know, you, you, know um, you can say what you want about America, all right, I mean, there's a lot to be said, but because of the Founding Fathers, because of the Constitution, because of the leadership of this country on the left, right, and center, we have somehow managed to maintain religious freedom, and we can thank God for that, that we have the freedom to gather here today, I mean, honestly, us, that we have the freedom to gather here and talk about Jesus without any fear of reprisals or being thrown into into prison, that is a blessing. We can thank God. that we live in a country that has a separation between the church and the state, and that separation does not exist, as so many think, to protect the government from the church. It exists to protect the church from the government. So why do Christians not feel much persecution in this country? It's because we are Christians in this country, and we can thank God for that. But there is a downside to religious freedom. And the downside to religious freedom is that it can actually weaken your faith. If you want to grow a muscle, you got to make it work, right? For those of you who go to the gym, you got to make it work. And frankly, the faith muscles in America are pretty weak because they don't really have to work that hard, do they? We honestly have no idea what it means to face opposition, suffer, and I'm concerned that when a storm eventually hits this country, that the average American Christian just might not be ready for that. So one reason we have not suffered so much persecution is because we're Americans. The other reason, I would argue, is because many of us pursue comfort. And I am not immune to this. Okay, I would much rather have a comfortable conversation with somebody than to have a conversation that's full of confrontation, Okay. I would much rather have an easy day than a day of conflict. I would much rather just placate someone than to get them angry you know, by having a conversation. And I know I'm not alone. And what happens in our pursuit of comfort is that we actually end up taking the path of least resistance. For example, maybe you're a teenager here, okay? And you're at a party and there's underage drinking going on. Now you know it's illegal. You know your folks would certainly not approve of it. But you'd rather just chug that beer than to have your friends bust your chops. You take the path of least resistance. Maybe you're with your friends and, and you know, somebody makes a tasteless joke. Um, and rather than calling them out, like, whoa, easy there, buddy, right? You say nothing. Or maybe you just laugh with everybody else. Because you don't want to stand out. You don't want to put a target on your back. When we pursue comfort, it can actually put us into a vicious cycle. Let me show you how this works. So we innocently pursue comfort because, let's be honest, comfort is better and easier than confrontation. Once we do that, we need to avoid conflict at all costs in order that we stay comfortable. And so we choose not to do or say anything that might possibly, maybe, potentially rile anybody else up. And we take the path of least resistance. The problem that eventually our faith weakens. Our spiritual muscles atrophy because they're never put to the test. They're never actually challenged to work because we've avoided anything that would test our faith. And as a result, we find that we have an empty life. Which is we don't really feel close to Jesus anymore. There's this void, almost, that we need to fill and we think, well, there's got to be more to life. And so what do we do? We pursue comfort, and around and around we go. And I think if we're being honest with ourselves, I think this is where a lot of us are living. But there is another way. And if we live as Peter has called us to live, we can enter a completely different life cycle. Peter calls us to live boldly for Christ. Okay, You follow his teachings, you live according to his wills. And when you do, both Jesus and Peter say, you will, trust us, face some conflict going to happen. Don't be surprised, Peter says. Jesus says, naturally, just a part of of your faith journey. You're going to face opposition. Somebody might criticize you. Somebody might judge you. People might misunderstand you. You might face some tension because you're going against the grain. You're living that not normal life. And because of that tension that you're feeling, you are forced to rely on God for strength. And because of that, your faith is strengthened all of a sudden you realize that God was at work in that conflict. God has worked through that conflict. He was there for you when you needed him. And because of that conflict, your faith is now stronger. And eventually, you actually feel closer to Christ because of it. You sense that he's with you. You feel his purpose for your life. And because of that, you feel encouraged. You're now on fire for the Lord, which makes you want to live even more boldly for him. So here is what I'm wondering. Which cycle best represents you? Are you somebody who generally pursues comfort? Doesn't really stand up for what's right even though you know what's right because mm, I just don't wanna rock the boat. And maybe you might say, you know what? I don't really think about this but my spiritual life is not where it used to be. God and I are not kind of in the same place that we once were or are you someone who's living boldly for Christ? And because of that, you have encountered some tension. But it doesn't discourage you. In fact, it actually encourages you. Which circle best represents you? Peter goes on. This is interesting. He says, so if you're suffering in a manner that pleases God, keep on doing what is right. So Peter says that there's a type of suffering that pleases God, which is a little bit unusual to hear. But you got to remember that, Peter's not talking about cancer and that kind of thing. He's talking about suffering that is directly related and linked to how we live our lives and how we live for Christ. And when you are suffering for Christ, he says, keep on doing what is right. You're on the right track. You're living according to God's will. Keep on doing what is right. That pleases God. In other words, God is actually honored by the opposition you're facing, by by some of the suffering that you might be feeling. So keep on doing what is right and trust your lives to the God who created you for he will never fail you. This right here is an incredible principle that Peter just laid out. Here's what he's saying. He's saying, in every area of your life, okay, in your family, in your finances, in your relationships, in your marriage, at your job, in any area of your life, do what is right and trust God with the results. Okay, so you're going to do what's right with your classmates and you're going to trust God with the results. You're going to do what's right with your family and you're going to trust God with the results. You're going to do what's right if that in that conversation with that person who hurt you and you're going to trust God with the results. You're going to do what's right at work and trust God with the results. Several weeks ago, a close friend of mine came up to me and she, and she wanted a little bit of advice about a work situation that she was going through. Now, a little backstory on her. My friend has recently come to faith in Christ. She always knew of him, but now she knows him. Okay, And she said, John, I'm, I'm feeling a little conflicted. Here's our word for the day. See, as followers of, of, of Christ, we got a choice here. Are we going to pursue comfort and avoid the conflict? Or are we going to live boldly and face the conflict? conflict was that she no longer felt spiritually comfortable at her place of work now that she's a Christian. And I said, all right, well, tell me about your job. What do they have you doing? This kind of thing. And she explained the situation. And without hesitation, I said, you got to leave. No question. You got to leave. But pray about it. But pray about it. And later I was reminded of the meme. It says me adding, but I don't know. Best pray about it just in case I ruin their life. <laughs> my advice. <laughs> it's like me the practical every week. I don't know. You could do it, but pray, you know. Um, and for several weeks, this is what she did. She prayed about it. She, you know this is you. She prayed about it. She wrestled with it because this is her job. You know, this is not make believe. She needed this salary. It's one thing to have convictions, it is another thing entirely to put your livelihood on the line for your convictions. But after much prayer, she did what was right. And I am happy to announce that this was her last week at that job. She did what was right. She trusted God with the results, whatever that might be. And God has already provided her with a new job starting tomorrow. Thank God. Let's pull up that circle from the beginning. I'll tell you where she is right now. She's firmly planted here. Not in her own strength, she would tell you that, but because of Jesus who lives inside of her. So where are you? You living boldly, doing what's right, even if it might put you at odds with culture, or are you avoiding conflict and wondering why your faith seems weaker than ever? Peter began to wrap up this conversation to a group of persecuted Christians by telling them that God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So humble yourselves under the mighty power of God, and at the right time, he will lift you up and honor. Now, watch what he says next. This is one of the greatest lines in all of scripture. He says to them, give all your worries and cares to God, for he cares about you. I absolutely love the way the Phillips translation captures this verse. He says this, you can throw the whole weight of your anxieties upon him, for you are his personal concern. For someone here today, this is what you came for right here. This is your moment. Because you got so much going on in your life right now that you can barely hold it together. Peter says, give it all to God. Give it all to God. Do not hold back. You can throw the whole weight of your anxieties on him. All series long, last four weeks, Peter's been challenging us to live this not normal life. And the truth is, when you live a not normal life, you will stand out in a very dark world. And you will, I guarantee it, face some spiritual opposition. It may be in the form of persecution. It may come in some other form. But what do you do? You let it build your faith. And you cast all of your cares on God because he cares for you. You are his personal concern. Peter then wraps up this entire discussion by saying, so, after you have suffered a little while, he will, that's a promise, he will restore, support, and strengthen you, and he will place you on a firm foundation. Just because you are suffering does not mean you're not following Christ. The very fact that you are suffering might be a direct indication that you are living for him. God is for you. He is with you. He has promised to never leave you. And even if you're suffering now, it will not last forever. Never stop doing what is right and leave all the consequences to him. What's so practical. What do you do with a message like this? If it is your first time here at this church every single week, we put this word on the screen because we wanna make sure you can leave on a Sunday and know exactly what to do with what you've heard. Somebody me pull up the map from earlier. Now, I want you to notice America up here, okay? No color. None. Right now, as a country, we are effectively free and clear of persecution. And we talked about the pros and cons of that, right? But right now, we are effectively persecution-free. But the truth is, and I think you would agree, persecution does seem to be ramping up in this country. Now, what is it going to look like when it gets here? I don't know. I, I have no idea. But I do think we're fooling ourselves, and I do think we're setting ourselves up for failure if we think our religious freedom will last forever. It won't. The question I've been asked and I've been wondering is, okay, should we be scared? No. Not in the slightest bit. Because persecution never hurts the church. It always strengthens the church. It always strengthens our faith and causes our roots to grow down even deeper. So as war rage, as they do, as media attacks, as they do, as your liberties get threatened, as they will, have faith, have faith. Do what is right and leave the results up to God. Now, one last bit of advice because I feel like I have to say this. I was thinking about it all week. We spent a lot of time today talking about living boldly. Okay? This is the blueprint for our lives, if you didn't pick that up earlier. When we are out there in the world, we are called to live boldly for Jesus. So, be bold. Stand up for what is right. Do what is right. Be bold, but, and this is so important, don't be a bull in a china shop. Mm-hmm. We cannot forget what we learned last week. We've been called to show the world what we believe by how we behave. Living boldly does not mean you need to be a jerk about your beliefs. Go look at the Gospels. Jesus was never a jerk. And yet I've seen way too many Christians that just seem to be looking for a fight, looking for trouble, using God's word as a weapon, and that will get you persecuted. But that's not the kind of suffering that pleases God. So be bold, but be gracious. Do what is right, and God will be honored, and you'll be blessed, and lives will be changed. Let me pray for you. only Father, you know, after a message like this, Lord, it does make us realize how blessed we are that we can actually come together worry-free, sit down in a nice room and enjoy listening to you, Lord. But the truth is, our brothers and sisters around this globe are suffering, God. And so I do pray for their protection. That you would be with them and their families and you would continue to strengthen your church, God. But we as Americans have other challenges to face. Things look different here, and that's okay. And I pray, God, that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you would challenge us to live differently. You would fill us with your spirit. You would anoint us that we may live boldly for Jesus, standing up for what is right, but doing it in love, even if that means getting some pushback, God. Because you have a job for us, God, to get out there in this world and share the good news of Jesus. And when we do, you are glorified and lives are changed. Help us, Jesus, to live a not normal life. We ask all of this in his mighty and powerful name.